Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Good morning. How are we? Are you good? Oh, for flip's sake. All right. Here, here I'm great. Mm. Online people, you're very welcome as well. I, um, do you know the way... Do you, know, do you know the way I have this thing, right, where I go, sometimes things come out of my mouth, and I, I, if I could take it back, I would take them back, but it's way too late. Well, normally, just to let you into what happens to me, that's normally just in the flow of stuff, right, where it's just in the flow. Then there's times where it's premeditated, and so I'm going to start off today by being a wee bit more premeditated, all right? Is that okay? Do you know that this week we've got elections coming up? All right? Like, don't collectively groan and go, oh, oh, oh for goodness sake, wise up. It's, um, I, I, I just want to say, I don't care necessarily who you vote for, because it's entirely your business. You get that? Uh, do you know the way we make everything about whether you're a prod or a Catholic? Right? Isn't that right? Like, let's just get real. If a couple of Jews walked in here today, we'd go, I dead on, but are you a Protestant Jew or a Catholic Jew? <laughs> Muslim? Oh, Muslim, are you very good? Protestant Muslim or Catholic Muslim? Because like, at the end of the day, it's the only way we can define you. We need to put you in the box. You know what I mean? That's when you have like South Africans who come and people from different countries. We don't know what to do with them. Like what box? Isn't that right? We've got to put them in the box, but we just don't know what box to put them into. Isn't that right? It's like a national flipping sport. And so, so what we do, but I'll tell you what happens then. You get nice, well-meaning Christians who go, well, do you know what? The whole voting thing, it's just not for me. Uh, I, here's what, all I'm going to say is this, right? There are men and women around the world today who don't have a vote, number one. We live in a country where men and women died to make sure that we have a vote, okay? Number two. So I actually think it's a responsibility to vote. Now, it's up to you who you vote for, but I'm just going to say one thing. If you give your vote to whoever you want, but that person doesn't know what a woman is, think again. Too controversial for you? How the heck can you trust them with your bins if they don't know what basic biology is? <laughs> Frankly, if you want to vote for someone who doesn't know that a baby in the womb is a human being that needs protected, think again. Can we set orange and green to the side for one moment and go right now in our country, there's more important things going on? Oh, you could cut the atmosphere with a cricket stump. <laughs> now, this one's... I, it was just in, I, I, just in worship. I actually just went, you know what? We do have a responsibility, all right? And actually, what you don't speak for, you give permission for something else. Do you hear me? Let me say that. There ain't no neutral. So I'm going to use my vote this week, and I'm going to cast that vote, and it will have very little to do with constitutional politics. But it'll have an awful lot to do with the fact that I know what a woman is. God knows what a woman is. And I believe that in this world, that, you know, it, like, don't ask me for my vote if you, if you can't really face into the most basic of things, because I just don't trust you. I'm just going to lay that one down, all right? Don't tell me that you, I can trust you if you vote to destroy babies in the womb. It's so anti-God, it's unbelievable. That's as political as I've ever been from the front, all right? So cast your vote whatever way you want. Make sure you do, because I actually believe church is a responsibility that we have. And um, whatever way you do it, it's up to you. But think, think about actually what, what really matters, okay? What's really important today. And then register what you have to say, amen? And if you're offended by that, Get over yourself. I am so sick of people being offended. Oh, I can't believe you said that from the pulpit of a church. Grow up, all right? Like, can we all just grow up and go, I might have, I might be a pastor and I might have a different opinion to you. And do you know what? That's all right. And if you can't accept that, get your thumb out of your mouth and grow up a little bit. Because you might have a different opinion to me. And do you know what? That's all right. Well, it's not really, actually. <laughs> now that we're bringing it up, it's actually not all right. If you don't think like me, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Amen. (laughs) 
you can tell I've been on Twitter this week, can't you? I just need to exercise it. I'm going, these people are having a laugh. Then you challenge them and they, don't even, they can't even be bothered to respond to people who ask them questions. Can you just tell me what your stance is on women? Like women are important, right? The future of, of being a woman is important. Can you tell me what you believe about that? You're not even important enough for me to either, I'll either make fun of you or I'll just completely ignore you. Well, you ain't getting my vote then. Bog off. Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for volunteers. You could, we're gonna get a wee group together and you're gonna chain yourself to the railings of Stormont this week. <laughs> so um, just put your name in the uh, coffee lounge there. I would love to come, but unfortunately I'm washing my hair. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, just joking. Right, I'm going to finish off my series this week. Um, oh, flip it all went a bit quiet. Come on, it's all right to have a. Yeah, some things are important to say, and we need to be. We need. We need to say them. All right. And uh, when issues matter, um, the church is okay to have a voice as the church. Uh, do other people disagree. I'm. I'm. I'm okay with that too. Right. Open up your Bibles to First Kings. And uh, we're going to have a look. I'm going to finish off this series on grace. Uh, on this on grace, like, because it's a subject, right? I'm going to finish off this series called Rise, about strongholds, about the things that we, we batter with and the things that rob us from an encounter of God's grace. If I was to ask you this morning, right? If I was to ask you this morning, do you want to have a, a greater encounter of God's power in your life? Uh, just raise your hands. It's not like, a, mm, who would say yes? I would love to see more of God in my, in my body, in my emotions, in my relationships, in my business, in my, yeah, you, we understand what that means, okay. And so I, I want to finish off on a story today. It's a really well-known story, and it's interesting for me is that whenever you read the Bible from, from beginning to end, and you understand that it's a picture of Jesus the whole way through, then what you will see is that every story points in some way to Jesus and his work for us. Do you get that? It's not like there's this massive disconnect between um, things in the, like the Old Testament is almost like completely disconnected from the new. And so you have the, all these stories of Jesus and he's wonderful. And then you've got all this random stuff like one of the ones we're going to read this morning. And somehow in the middle of that, all right. Um, it's like, how do, you, how do you draw the lines between those two? Well, it's one big narrative, and it's all about God saving his people. That's you and me. Do you get that? And so the narrative in, in the Word from beginning to end is about revealing Jesus and showing us at every step of the way how we can encounter him in, in real life power every day. And it's not about, uh, when we talk about this today, because I'm going to talk about supernatural, like that supernatural encounter or supernatural uh, kind of God working supernaturally in your life. And I need to be careful with that because what we do sometimes when we hear that in the church is we, we think that's like a, some kind of mad Benny Hinn moment, right? Where you say, I'm going to stand here in a white spandex suit and do this here and you're all going to fall over. Uh, you know, like, did I just say that out loud? Okay, see, that was unintended, right? So uh, do you know what I mean? Where you do this and oh, fall over and then you go back to life. But it's about in the everyday. And it's about in, in, in when you're sick, seeing the power of God released. It's about when you're depressed, seeing anxiety and fear lift from you. It's about when there's broken relationships and dysfunction within your family, seeing that come together. It's about living in the goodness and the peace of God, you, your children, your grandchildren, and everybody else, okay? And that's what we're gonna talk about today because this story is just incredible. It's, it's, it's a mad story, actually. So shall we read it? If we go to 1 Kings, we're gonna go to chapter 16. Can we put the first verses up there? And... Um, we might need to do. Okay, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, um, and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, this is all about the prophet Elijah. I'm not going to explain an awful lot about him. If you don't know anything about him, he's a prophet. He's a, he's a Tishbite, a prophet. And what happened is, today you have Jesus living in you. You have the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself in you. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was given, uh, what would happen is that God would set up prophets for the nations and they would be almost like the middleman between God and the people. So they, he would, the responsibility was not just to go, you're fantastic, but was to hear God and then speak it. Generally, they got themselves into hot water a lot of the time because um, it wasn't all, hey, you're awesome. You know, like today, everything's about a participation medal, right? It's like, da, 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 well done you. You're getting your milk kicked in, but it wasn't like that. These guys were hard. They were like, you've fallen from God. You've gone far from God. You need to flip and wake up and hear because this is what the Lord says, right? And so that's quite an important job, right? Now, Elijah was a basket case. 
All the basket cases say, amen, all right? If you think Elijah was absolutely fantastic and like somehow these guys were like, like unbelievably different to you, they weren't. Elijah was up and down like a fiddler's elbow. He saw the power of God move and then he doubted God at the very next moment. He, he saw God move and then he wanted God to kill him because he was so completely depressed. You get that? Anyone feel like that at times? I'm up, it's a great day, praise the Lord. Chris Tomlin is blasting. Next day, I don't even know if I'm saved. Anyone? Okay, yes, the hands up. I love it. Because that's called real life. That's sometimes what happens. And so don't read this story and go, Elijah was different because he was a prophet. He was all over the shop at times. All right, so let's keep reading. So when he saw Elijah, uh, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? You see, his reputation had gone before him. I, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have, Ahab was the king. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, or up to 850, that's important, who eat at Jezebel's table, all right? And uh, so Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets of Mount Carmel. Elijah went, on, went before the people and said, how long will you waver, right? Verse 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 400 and 50 prophets, there's another 400 on their way. So here's what he says, get two bulls for us. Have you ever felt like that? Keep that up there for me a moment. Have you ever felt like that? It's like, you know, sometimes even as believers, we go, like, you're standing almost like against this unrelenting tide of nonsense. Anyone? You ever felt like, am I the only one? Like, he's really standing here. You, do you understand what I mean? Or are you kind of like living in some kind of Christian hippie communes that I don't know about? <laughs> like where you've, you've, you've voiced an opinion and it's the majority are against it. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Because I'm thinking, where the heck, what planet are you on if you're, you're clearly not paying attention? Like even in the church, it's like as soon as you start to say it is God's grace alone, it's the only way to, that's the gospel is God's grace. I can't live, as Ray Bevan says, as a schizophrenic believer caught between two, a pillar and a post. I can't add, you're going to say that, I can't add to what's already been done. I've got to position myself to receive it. Ah, oh, see, there you go. That crazy grace stuff. You know, wind your neck in. Grace is okay, but if you're not careful, people just go crazy. End up in the pictures and... <laughs> also drinking Guinness and all sorts of stuff, right? Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, uh, but don't set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Next one, 24. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Is anyone, if you've been, you know, following what I teach for any period of time, you know what bulls, Jesus is a picture of the bull, right? The sacrifice that will be made, okay? So just start to put that into your head. And uh, this is about a sacrifice that's gonna be made and a demonstration of God's power. And so Jesus fulfilled all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And uh, he, he is in one of the four faces of God seen as the bull. So keep going. At, uh, so what happened? So they took the bull, given them, prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, or Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> Imagine Elijah going through. Like, he... If you read Elijah's story, this is a moment where, quite frankly, I don't think he deserves to be that cocky, right? <laughs> because he's a basket case. He, like, he's, he doesn't know whether he's, he's coming or going in like, a few verses from here, right? But here he is basically going, ew, all right? <laughs> Shout louder, ew. He said, surely he is a God, right? 
Perhaps he's in deep thought. I mean, this is him just like kicking like mad, stirring it, going, <laughs> yeah, boo sucks or whatever. All right. Might have been gesturing at them or whatever. And perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Next verse. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves, okay, with swords and spears. Okay, they're going to get serious now. As was their custom until their blood flowed, uh, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Keep going. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped towards I step forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Important verse, next one. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, boom, and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah, says, commanded them, seize them, all these prophets. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there, right? Slaughtered them there. Isn't that, isn't that, that's a great story. We all know it, don't we? Okay? About what happens with the prophets of Baal. And here's, here's Elijah. And, I mean, literally the country is stuck, and Elijah is... Is, is the guy that God has called to, um, to see the power of God fall where they are. Now, what does this story tell you? Let's get right into it. For some of us, it's new. For some of us, it's not new. But I guess the main point is this. You don't need to be perfect to see the power of God demonstrated where you are. You don't need to be perfect, but you have to be positioned. Do you hear me? You don't need to be perfect, but you've got to be positioned. Because when you're positioned, right, and I'm going to show you what that means, God will do supernatural things with the natural things that you have around you. And I, I believe it's time for us to see that as a church. You know what? I, I, think, I think we've had some cracking teaching as a church over the years, haven't we? Uh, yeah, well, I do. I've done most of it, so that's why I think it's awesome, all right? Go me, all right? But... <laughs> But I, what I do think is that in this season that is coming in, we need to start to position ourselves, not to do more, but be positioned right, listen, so that the power of God is demonstrated and grace flows. Do you get that? Because I'll explain that in the weeks to come. Because I don't want to live in the natural all the time. Jesus flowed in the supernatural power of God to validate and demonstrate his message. And he said that we were supposed to do the same things. So for the issue, it's not that we don't think that God can do it. Because most of us, if I asked you, do you think God's a supernatural God who can move in power in your life? Oh, absolutely. The question is not, is he able, but is he willing to do it? And most importantly, is he willing to do it for you? And so therefore what happens is we, we start to, you know, we start to dumb down or we start to avoid or make excuses for living which doesn't have that power of God within it. Do you get that? And what happens is that a complicated faith starts to arise whenever there's a lack of experience. So when we're not experiencing the power of God, then we tend to make things more complicated than what they are. And so we, we, you'll start to say, I've seen this all the time, like really complicated theology. And I'm not smart enough. The thing is, I'm not smart enough to understand them, right? People send me stuff all the time, these great theologians. And I just go, I'm clearly a bit thick. Because about five minutes in, I'm like, and it's, do you know what? And it's not the power of God. Oh, the anointing. It's just I'm flat out bored and I don't know what they're talking about. Do you get me? Yeah, okay, well, you know. And, and so I go, what, what the heck? And, and like podcasts with all these boffins sitting around with big beards and chins. And, and, and they're all like talking, about, well, most of them. And that's just the women. And uh, what happens is, 
what's that? How many joking? Woman. <laughs> and so, and, and it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a really rubbish pastor because I should really understand all this. And uh, if I don't understand this, my church is going to be rubbish and I'm rubbish and people are judging me. And, you know, and, and all, in the middle of it all, like 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my message and my preaching were very plain, Paul says. Rather than using clever and persuasive, persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what I'm trying to say is this. Don't limit God in your life, okay, by just taking grace and making it just about you and complicating it and making it in your head. Grace positions you for a power encounter with God. Do you get that? That's the whole point. That's what we see in, in, this, in this situation with Elijah, okay? So it's like you can, you can do very natural things and put lots of effort into it and have theology and all that, and it won't make a button of difference on Tuesday morning. Do you get me? The season that we're in right now is for God, for God is saying, grace will position you for an encounter, an encounter of the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. And when Jesus is in the house, when Jesus is moving, all things are made new. Amen? Okay, so let's, let's get into it. So verse 21, uh, Elijah asked the people a question that still reverberates today, and it, it's something I want to ask you. How much longer are you going to waver? How much are you going to hobble between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him, right? And if Baal is God, then follow him. I mean, I mean for me, it's like he, he's, t- he's calling them almost to get off the fence and make a decision. That's why I said what I did at the start of today about women. It's like, get off the fence and make a decision. If God is God, then his promise is true. We've sung it today. We've put our hands in the air and we need to have confidence in the fact that God is an overcoming God. We might be in this world, but we're not off it. God this morning, Jesus himself, the King of Kings, is ruler over all, over every principality, over every power, over every government, over every spirit in this place. He is King. Do you get that? And what he says over your life today is every promise that I have written is still true. There is nothing that can stand against the promise of God in your life. Do you know that? There's no power of hell. There is no power of man that can rob and take away the finished work of Jesus for you. Why? Because whenever he promised, I have set you free, he meant it. Somebody say amen. That is the truth. And so we've got to start off. I think it's all a decision for each of us to make to go, am I going to sit in the fence on this stuff? Right? God's promises are true, then what, what that means is they have to be priority. What, what I mean is this. If God's word is true to you, it's going to look like something in your life. Not just saying it because we all like it and we like the sound of it, but whenever Elijah here is, is trying to help the people, is trying to demonstrate God's part of the people, obviously there's been drought and all sorts of stuff going on in the land, he just didn't morally mouth it or mealy mouth it. Oh, yes, God is very good. See you. I'm away. Right? He actually moves to position himself on the basis of what? I'm not going to waver. Do you know there's a time where you can't waver? Because not only will you get thorns in your backside, all right? It's really uncomfortable. But there's a t- I, I honestly believe now, like the Lord is saying to you, don't waver. It's not that we're afraid about the world. It's just that God's saying, I have positioned you for a power encounter every day of your life. Like not just theology of grace, but grace worked out. Grace demonstrated, grace lived, grace absolutely changing and transforming you and the people around you. So don't waver, don't hem and hang, go, yes, I believe it, but I'll not position myself to move in the power of it. Do you get that? Does that am I making sense or am I just kind of, yeah, okay, good. Because let, let, let's keep going. Because for me, I, I think if God said it, don't waver, do it. Because living in a halfway house, a halfway house, what was that? Is the worst place to live. I've gone all English, mate. Now, you do not get the good and the benefit from either. That's the point. So what happens is in verse 22, Elijah made his decision. And Elijah, let me tell you, remember, was up and down. But there was something in him that went, I have heard enough, I have seen enough to have a point in my life where I go, if God is God, then that's going to be my priority. That's where I'm going to build. And so verse 22, he says, okay, let's get into it. He proposes a test. It's a small point. He, a small, he only thinks he's the only prophet left, right? Poor old me. Isn't it amazing that in the middle of your self-centeredness that God can move miraculously? You don't need to be perfect, folks. You need to be positioned. Do you get me? Because here's Elijah. 
in the middle of it all going, I'm the only one, per me, you know, kind of flagellating himself and self-pity, self-centeredness. Not, is he focused on God right now? Not at all. He's having a pity party. Let me tell you something. God's grace is not limited by your feeling at any moment. It's really important to know that. I can't be positioned for, for God to move in, like really incredibly because I'm this and that. It doesn't matter, okay? Keep your eyes on the Lord. He thinks he's the only prophet left. And I love it because God doesn't need perfect people who never get it wrong or read a situation wrong. He, he just needs you positioned. Why? Because grace will release the power of God. Let me explain it to you. This is why I believe in grace. So I, every time I pick up my Bible, all I can see is God's grace the whole way through it. Because living under religion and law and self-effort and performance will never release the power of God in your life or anybody else's. It will never do it. This is an amazing picture of grace, this story. God's power flows in grace and not in your own effort. So let's, let's have a look at it. This is, what's the picture here? The picture here is what, what's, what's at stake? Is it about God's reputation? Yes. But it's about more than that. Think about what I said at the start of today. What's the battle for? The battle's for men and women, for their hearts, their souls, for all of eternity. Do you get that? That's the battle that's being fought. It has many guises. It has many manifestations on the surface, but make no bones about it. From, from day one, the whole battle was God for his children. He loves people. He loves the people in your life. He loves the people that are not in your life. And he loves them so much that he came and he died for them. He went to a cross to take away everything that would ever stand against them being perfect forever and with him in eternity. Do you get that? He loves them. And that's the battle here. The battle is for the nation of Israel. And that's a picture of the people that we have today in our lives. It's about releasing a people from bondage and from slavery. And God is going to demonstrate his power, his glory. God is going to do something incredible for people. And you know what? He's going to use a basket case to do it. And all the people went, amen. All right? Basket cases for Jesus. Yes. Yeah, all right? That'd be a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? Let's get those made, all right? There are people in your world today who are dependent on you. There are people right now, and this is the key, that you've got to ask yourself, how am I going to see the power of God manifest in them? How am I going to see the power of God move? Well, let's just look at your two options. Number one, law and self-effort. Self-absorption, sitting on the fence, afraid to commit. Well, there were 850 prophets here. They offer the bull, and then from morning to noon, they dance, they chant, and what happens? Exactly nothing, all right? What's the picture? The picture is when you have got something in front of you, all of the effort of people, their clever thinking, their systems, their processes, and whatever will not move the dial one bit. Seems really simple, doesn't it? But we sit on the fence on the power of God. Like God's grace is amazing. It's so fantastic. Okay, is it? Why don't we talk about giving and why don't we talk about serving and why don't we talk about actually trusting God for a power encounter in this church that'll change? Well, I'm not too sure, right? Let's keep going. So nothing happens. So they up the ante. What, what's, what's the picture here? They start to cut themselves, right? So there is a sacrifice that has been made that's the picture. Think of Jesus being the sacrifice. And what happens is people in the natural go, I am doing everything. That I know there's a sacrifice, okay? And I know that the sacrifice is being made. But what, you know, all the systems haven't worked. So I'll tell you what, I will add my blood to it. I'll add my effort, my life to it to see if I can get something to do, right? It's about me. I'm going to keep adding to it. I'll cut myself. Like, that's painful, Right? Do you see, see what people are doing today to themselves to try to find a sense of peace and meaning and hope and future? Cutting and mutilating themselves in some respects. Anyway, they're trying to make, what's happening is we're trying to make this sacrifice more worthy and literally life flowing out of people as they try to get God to move. That's what religion does, right? There's a sacrifice that has been made and religion says you have to add to it. Like, 
somehow God is going to be more motivated if you add your bit to it, then he will move. And you know what? It's like, there's, like he's totally outgunned here, 850 to 1. It, must, it, it takes guts to stand there and go, yeah, keep going. Has he gone away? All right. 850 verses 1. And still, no matter what they pour in, it doesn't change a thing. So then Elijah steps up. Watch what he does. And anyone who tells you that the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough, then you need to listen. Verse 30, he says, come over here. And the first thing he does is what? He rebuilds the altar of the Lord. This is really important. Why is that? Why does he rebuild the altar of the Lord? Altars were places of sacrifice, okay? And what happens is fire falls on a sacrifice. So he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. You know that, that, you know, for us in the new covenant of grace, rebuilding the altar of the Lord is putting the sacrifice of Jesus first again. Rebuilding in your life the place where God moves. Because God doesn't move in your self-effort. God moves on the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you get that? And you've got to rebuild that in your life. If you have started to do other, I mean, in our thinking, in our hearts, we all do it. We start to drift. Sometimes it's imperceptible. Sometimes it's on purpose because we're disappointed. Sometimes because we're desperate. But we build altars all over the place. Altars are, are places where we believe that there's enough in that sacrifice for God to move. So he goes, no, let's rebuild the altar of the Lord first. Let's put Jesus back in the right place. Let's build that in our lives because what happens is the fire is, God's not chaotic. Do you get that? He says, you know, that the fire of God, you know, as this has been preached before, you know, the fire just doesn't fall anywhere. It fire falls on the altar where a sacrifice is offered. And it was no accident in this story and it won't be an accident in yours. The power of God moves through the sacrifice of Jesus and nothing else. Do you get that? So have an honest word with yourself. Are you sitting between two stools? Or it's not am I or not. It's not as binary as that. It's in what areas of my life have I allowed myself to, to waver and go, do you know what? Here I need to hedge my bets because I haven't seen God move or I've been disappointed with what God did in that. So what it forces us to do then, if we're, if we're not focused, is we hedge our bets. We sit on the fence. That's why he goes, if God's God, then follow him. What do we do next? Build the altar of the Lord. Have a look around you first, right? And go, look at the world's doing. There's a sacrifice made. They don't want to accept it, so they just keep adding to it. And it doesn't matter that it's the mad majority. It doesn't work. Nothing happens. No power to change the country sits in that kind of approach. Mm -hmm. So what does Elijah do? He could have gone, bum, 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 right? That, I don't know what that was. But you know what I mean? He could have gone, let me show you. But he doesn't. He builds the altar of the Lord because that's where the fire is going to fall. The power of God rests in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus for you. Never forget it. Okay, we're doing okay? Awesome. He prepared, so what does he do? In that moment, he prepared himself to see the miracle of God. He was positioning himself to see God move. I sometimes think, even in grace, we think that God is disordered and chaotic. He's not. Do you get that? It's like in our disordered, chaotic lives and approach to God at times, and grace covers that. I'm good at that. I'm not poking holes because I'm exactly the same. You know, we, can, we think that God's sort of indiscriminately like shooting, you know, grace and miracles all over the place. And I actually don't think that's a really good way to live. You know, if you need a miracle this morning, we're gonna, we can pray with you and we want to pray with you so you see your miracle. But God wants you to live better than that. Not hobbling from miracle to miracle, but living elevated and blessed. If you don't believe me, that's what it says in Romans 5, 17, that those who receive the abundance of grace will what? Will reign in life. So actually when God saves you under grace, it's to set you up for a life where you live blessed. Why? This is all going back to the Old Testament. Why? For this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, and so that people around you can go, what the heck is it with this person? Like, what is different about your life? You're different. You even live differently. We can see it. There's a, there's a difference in you. What is it? Well, is it about me? No, it's about the power of God in my life. I don't really think the gospel gets really attractive if you are flipping miserable and, do you know what I mean? Oh, how are you, brother? I'm just oh, getting through, Right? 
You any hope in your heart? Well, not really. <laughs> Just very tired. <laughs> I say that, so I need to be careful. But you know what I mean? See you next week, DV. <laughs> you know what that is? I didn't know what that was. I grew up charismatic. And then people would write to me and say, you know, like, I get it on emails, because people email me. It's funny, right, from all over the world. And uh, we'll listen in next week, DV. What the heck? Does anyone know what that means? God willing. See, there you go. You're proper Christians. I didn't even have a clue. <laughs> Apparently it means Deo Volante or something, if God wills it. I'm like, what a depressing view of life. Here you are writing an email to some fuck agent in Belfast, hoping that you're not going to be dead by next week, because God might kill you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, seriously, I think He is willing that next week you'll be thriving and doing well. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just find that really funny. DV. What does that mean? Like, anyway, there you go. Grow up charismatic. You know none of this stuff. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, in, in the middle of it all. You can, you can put yourself in the same position. You know, Elijah doesn't fall into the same trap as the people around him trying to add to the sacrifice or make a song and dance. Literally, they made a song and dance about it. He didn't do that. He simply prepared a place in his life before the people where the fire of God could fall, and that was in the place of the sacrifice. He even goes further. He digs the trench, soaks the bull and the wood, and it's about, you know, I think it's about God going, this has to be about supernatural breakthrough moments. It has to be about that. And I, when I was reading it this week, there was just something that, that struck to my head, that came to my head and my heart. Because I guess what Elijah was saying is there is absolutely nothing in the natural that is going to make this work. Zero. He's on his own. He's just like all of their getting on and singing and dancing hasn't moved the dial. All they're adding, cutting themselves and adding to the sacrifice hasn't shifted. So he's just made it really, really hard for himself by doubling down and making it physically impossible that this thing could ever, if it's not God, it's never happening. You get that? I guess what I'm trying to ask you is this, that for all Elijah was a basket case, there was something in the moment where he didn't, he had bold faith. At the same, do you know it's like you can have bold faith and basket caseness living together? Isn't that somebody must be relieved about that? <laughs> when I read this story, I was like, "Oh, thank goodness! I don't need to be living up here all the time on some cloud of glory, listening to Robin Mark and just man, just loving it." Right? God can cope with my doubt and insecurity. And in the moments, my bold declarations of faith in who Jesus is, right? And he can make that work if I'm positioned right. I'm trying to help you this week. Do you know why? Because some of us, we're just thinking, if the bull lights up, I'm happy. But God wants to go way beyond the, the, the kind of the, the, the limitations. He wants to go way beyond our low thinking is what I, what I thought about this week. Is go, some of us can't even imagine in our lives what the power of God can do. Like Elijah had something in where he went, God's part, like this is nothing to what God can do. So there was something in him, there was bold faith in him in a moment. Can I encourage you actually to, for some of us again, to go, how, how bold is my faith right now? What am I actually believing for? When you walk out of here this afternoon, what is in your head and in your heart? What do you picture and what do you see for, the, for yourself, for this church, for the future, for the country? Are we wavering, pushed from pillar to post, feeling like the enemies are outnumbering us 850 to one? Are we standing in the middle of it going, you, right, Lord, let's take a whack at this because you said it and you said you would do it and I can't do it anyway, so let's just take me out of the equation so it's over to you, Lord. I'm positioned, I'm focused, boom, and the power of God comes. Anybody? What are you believing for? What are we believing for? Like, honestly, think about it. Because I, I know in my life, it gets dumbed down all the time. I hear the 850 chanting in my ear, and I think, oh, flip me, this is way too hard. Would it work anyway? But Elijah has bold faith. You know, I just, oh man, he has bold faith. 
And that bull faith starts on the inside of him. That's what he sees on the inside. That's what he believes on the inside. Despite his insecurity, despite his failure, despite the complete selfishness a moment before, it's only me, Peru, me. What about me? Almost Lord goes, whatever, let's, you know, love you, but let's move on. I've got some power issue here. And what did he do? He simply positioned himself. I, I'll do the last bit. Oh, I need to do the last bit here. There was, um, you know, it wasn't about low expectation. You know, he starts to ask God for something pretty big. It's in the natural. It's absolutely impossible. He doesn't lowball God. And then he prays. And if you read Elijah's prayer, it's, it lasts for less than one minute. Now, what's really interesting, again, it's fantastic. They had been at it for hours, upon hours, upon hours, shouting and hollering and jumping and getting on, right? Slashing themselves with knives and swords and nothing's happening. This is what I love about this. Elijah prays for less than one minute and God moves. That's what grace does. Whenever you're positioned and what you're looking at is the sacrifice of Jesus, what else can you say other than thank you, Lord, for your grace? And what do we do? We declare your grace works well. And then we let it be. Boom. And seeing that simple heart that's positioned towards grace, I believe the power of God moves. Honestly, I do. We don't need to remind God of everything that's going on. Can you imagine, like, if, if, if we put this story into modern day, I imagine what might have happened is he probably would pick up the phone to the prayer chain. So while I just go on, need the prayer chain going here, right? Prayer chains are great. I'm not knocking them. I am slightly. I <laughs> know it's just the thought of it. But, you know, there would have been loads of people praying. There would have been loads of people like, Lord, this is what's happened. You called us. You spoke to us. These guys have set this up. That da da da, and we we're going to tell God because if we leave something out, then God's going to forget, and that's awful because He can't move if He forgets. And this is all going on, and uh, so and he, Elijah doesn't do any of that. You see, whenever grace, when you're positioned for grace and great faith, it makes everything really short. It's a declaration of what grace has done, and then he simply says in verse, I think it's thirty-one, "I have done this at your command, at your word." Boom, and that's it. Yeah, I've done, sorry, 36. I've done all these things at your command. So he had, his, he had this word on his heart from God. He learned to trust in God. And he had a word from God. And what he does is he just allows that moment, in that moment, to point himself towards grace, to declare grace, to speak grace, and says, this is your word, Lord, not mine. And at that point, boom, the fire of God falls. You don't need to be perfect. You need to be positioned. That's what I want to encourage you with today. Do you know what Elijah then does? Just the last bit, just to finish. It's, uh, I love this bit of the story. It's a very simple point. He, he find, he, he, it's a bit gruesome, but he kills all the prophets. Now, what, what do you think that was about? If I was to ask you, why would he do that? Why is that detail in there? Why did the Lord not go, right, you've made your point, now move on? All right? You've humiliated them. The whole nation has seen it. This word's going to kind of go everywhere that actually, you know, you've, um, you've, you know, I've moved and that's it. He says, go after them into the Kishon Valley and kill them, put them to death. Just a simple picture. God says, put to death all religion, all self-effort in your life. Don't tolerate it. Don't delay it. Because literally, it will keep you in bondage and doubt and slavery. So it's not like we, we have to pursue it, but he says, don't tolerate it. That's the whole point. The picture there for us under the new covenant is wherever you see it in your life, then don't allow it. Put it to death, okay? And that's not about your, I mean, that could be quite circular. I, I, I need to think about the air. No, just when it comes up, the Lord says, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus and his sacrifice, on the altar that was made, the sacrifice that was made, because that's where the power is. And you know what? Whenever the 850 push in, put them to death. Be really focused on grace and grace alone. Amen. How's that this morning? All right. Anyone encouraged? Okay, good. The whole point is this. The whole point is that I honestly believe that 
power of God and the presence of God that we bring with us. Do you know, do you know what I think for this, for this week? As we start to think about going into the world and, and your families and everything else. Is that don't, 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 don't waver with them, okay? All your effort is not going to change one thing in their life. That's not what it's about. You're not called to change people's lives. So take the weight and burden off your shoulders for thinking that you are. Do you know why? You can't. There's nothing in you to do it. Oh, thank goodness. How about our, our responsibility is to bring the good news and position ourselves for the power of God to fall. To keep Jesus and his grace at the center. To not hobble between two opinions of it. So, and whatever situation we find ourselves in, building the altar is bringing that finished work of Jesus and what he says into every situation and then let God move. He'll change the hearts. He'll heal the bodies. He'll heal the minds. He'll save the people that need to be saved. All your cutting and singing and dancing and getting on ain't gonna get, the, get it done. You don't add to the sacrifice that Jesus has already made. You position yourself for God's glory to fall on him. And he only ever falls on the one sacrifice, and that was the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? Cool. Close your eyes and let's pray. Get your, your uh, communion ready. I'm going to pray, and Adam's going to come up and lead us in communion. Um, Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I want to thank you that uh, Lord, for people in here who have settled or been afraid of the fact that the, the lie, Lord, that says that grace is not enough, that grace is not going to get the job done, that I need to do something with grace and with your sacrifice to see your power move. I just pray this morning a release in their hearts from that bondage. I pray that this week, Father, that they would see that you're more than enough. Jesus, you can deal with our insecurities. You can deal with our worries. You can deal with our inconsistency. It's not a, it's not a problem to you, Lord. But Lord, it's really hard. You know, we, we rob ourselves of a grace encounter whenever we put our effort into the middle of it. Whenever you simply say, position yourself, build an altar of the finished work of Jesus in your life and position yourself that you won't waver off that place. And whatever you walk into, whatever situation you, you happen upon, you bring the power of God, the fire falls in that place. And I pray that this week you would start to see that. I pray for specific encounters this week in your life. I pray in work. I pray in your families, in your relationships, with your children, with your parents, with your brothers, sisters, cousins, with your neighbors. I pray that this week that you would see the power of God move on them. Not because of anything that you're clever about, but because you're simply bringing the finished work of Jesus into the center. And Father, we thank you for healing this week. We thank you, Father, for new encouragement this week. We thank you. I speak bold faith over you, church. Bold faith. I, I just pray that this week you would capture again that it's not about you and what you bring, but it's about him and what he has done and about our focus and clarity on that work, on that altar. Not the altars we, we try to build ourselves, but keeping Jesus at the very center. And I pray that this week the bold faith would arise in you. Things that have been stuck we just speak out over them. They are becoming unstuck in Jesus' name. Things that have been held back, Father, we thank you that they're being released. Provision, Lord. Hope, Father. Healing in Jesus' name. For people who we might have just gone, this is just the way that it is, I pray that you would see again. You would start to have bold faith and start to imagine and see in your heart and believe and, and picture their life transformed and renewed and completely taken apart and built again through an encounter with Jesus. I, I just pray that you would see that in your heart and that you would boldly declare it, boldly declare his grace over those that you love and those who are close. Father, we thank you for new salvations. 
Father, we thank you for new encounters. We thank you, Father, for, for men and women coming out of darkness and into light. We thank you, Father, that it's not our job to do that, but just to position ourselves so that you can fall. And Father, we believe that. We, we believe that today. And we say thank you for your grace. Thank you that it is grace alone. Father, we take that grace today. We're going to mix it with faith this week, and we're going to see you move. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to take our stuff for communion, so get your stuff if you need to do that. Wasn't that great? That was brilliant. The picture of Jesus in that story is, is, is amazing. I used to think it was just purely about God's power and this is what he does. But when you really look at it, Jesus is just everywhere. Isn't that amazing? We're going to take communion. Stand on your feet if you can while we do this. I think sometimes that's important to take a stand wherever you're at. And we say, Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you that you were the sacrifice. And it is more than enough. Thank you that we do not need to add anything to it. Lord, and we can believe, we can believe for your goodness. We can believe for your grace to flow into every area of life. So we thank you that your body was broken, that we can live in wholeness. As Andrew said in Romans, we can reign in life. So we take and we eat. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, as was their custom, the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves with swords and spears until their blood flowed. They did everything they could to make their God move. And they felt that it all rested on their blood flowing. Jesus allowed himself to be cut so his own blood flowed for you. That's the difference. He says, you don't need to move for me. I moved for you. And it all rests on me. So we say, Jesus, thank you that your blood flowed. Thank you that we have all righteousness. We are blameless. We are holy. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. And that's the truth. That's the truth. So we say thank you, we take and we drink. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond in worship here. Um, you're already here, right, guys? Um, we're, going to, we're going to worship, and we're going to take up our offering as well. As we always say in exchange, you will never hear about money before you've heard about Jesus, and that will always be the way it's going to be. But we encourage you to give generously because of what God has done. He's your provider. He's your protector. He's moving in your life. So we encourage you to do that. And then we'll worship, and then uh, we'll do some announcements at the end. So, yeah, let's uh, do the offering when we worship.